Welcome to the Big Data Now podcast. I'm your host, Viva, and in this episode, I talk with David Langer. David teaches the world the 20% of analytics that drive 80% of return on investment. He teaches everyone interested in developing skills with data. He focuses on Excel, SQL, and R, because he knows that these tools are essential for a successful data analyst. He wants a world filled with data literate professionals, professionals that can use data to craft insights and make truly data-driven decisions. He especially seeks to train the entire organization, not just the technical teams. And he prefers starting with managers. Welcome to the Big Data Now podcast. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So how did you go into data analysis? Uh, so I got my start in data a long time ago, probably it's probably around 10 years ago now. And back then, predictive analytics, what people often refer to as data science, for lack of a better term, wasn't was always a thing, but it wasn't nearly as big as it is now. So I got my start in what is often referred to as descriptive analytics. So I was a data warehousing, business intelligence and reporting professional, and I got my start um, as a consultant um, years ago, and then performed data warehousing and business intelligence work for Microsoft for a number of years. Yeah. So now you transition to teaching. So is it, this is what you're doing full time? Yes. So I have uh, started a uh, a company, a training company called Dave on Data. Uh, mm-hmm. It's always been my dream to start a you know, a business where I focused on actually training professionals in those aspects of data analysis that I have found over my career to be disproportionately valuable. So I'm doing that full time now and uh, living the dream, living the entrepreneurial dream. So now you're teaching online probably most of the time at this point and then via your YouTube channel. Correct. And before before companies or, or how would it be exactly? So uh, before before working on Dave on Data full full time, uh, I was a full time employee. I was a hands on analytics professional. I in my last job where I worked for almost three years, I was the the head of the analytics team. Um, I did data analysis day in and day out. I did presentation to management, advised them on various things like pricing new products and other strategic aspects based on the data analyses that I conducted. Before that, I actually worked for a small startup called Data Science Dojo, and that uh, was a full-time job where I actually trained people. I flew around the U.S. and Canada tw- uh, two weeks out of the month, and I trained people on the basics of R programming, machine learning, um, recommender systems, clustering, all that sort of thing. So I have kind of a mixed background of both hands-on full-time work as an analytics professional, as well as some full-time experience actually as a trainer as well. So what do you prefer training for this point in your life? Uh, you prefer training people? Uh, I So I really, interestingly enough, I mean, given the current situation, uh, I really like in-person training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like getting on a plane, flying somewhere, uh, whether that's a company or at a conference or what, might, what have you, and actually teaching in front of a live audience of students. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I really, really enjoy doing. Um, yeah, and hopefully yeah. we'll get back to that at some point. 
Uh -huh. So with the project, you had less of um, a drive when you were doing this? Like you get more, a better sensation, better experience with, with teaching than, than with actually doing the work? Or well, is that what you're saying? Um, that's a really good question. So I, I love doing analytics. I do. Um, so like, for example, my last job, I wrote SQL code and R code basically every day. And I really enjoy that. Um, but over time, one of the things that um, I've discovered, I like to teach and I've taught here and there on the side, even while I was working a full-time job for a long time. Back in the 2000s, for example, I used to teach C++ programming on the side and also had a full-time job. So I like teaching. But what I've also come to realize and come to believe personally over this time frame is that while I do like to do um, analytics day in and day out, hands-on, I also have come to the conclusion that the biggest impact that I could potentially have in the world, and hopefully this doesn't sound too cliche, the biggest impact I can have in the world is actually helping organizations and helping professionals become data literate. Because even though I know how to do machine learning, even though I know how to do predictive analytics and I can write production code, I honestly don't believe that that is the single most valuable thing that organizations can do. Sure, there's no. value in spinning up a data science team and doing machine learning, but actually having a workforce that is data literate is going to have far more impact on, a, on an organization than a data science team. So I just kind of want to spread data literacy far and wide. That, and the best mechanism to do that is via training. Yeah, and when did you discover is it recent or already like a long, long time that you were, you, you knew this? Um, well, so <laughs> anybody who's worked in analytics for uh, a while, for a long time, and has worked in the trenches has stories of a manage, of management not paying attention to the analytics findings because they don't like it, or in some, in my own case and other people's cases as well, literally being yelled at because you do something in the analytics space and the receiving end of the, the message thinks that you're trying to make them look bad or <laughs> who knows mm -hmm. what. Um, so it gradually built up over time, over time, over a number of years in different places. And also while I was teaching as well for Data Science Dojo, I would talk to students that would come to the boot camp, And I just, over time, just it just, it just became this overwhelming sense that, wow, if, People have, if, if organizations had a base level of data literacy, and especially managers, by the way, especially managers, and that's where I would start if I could, anywhere mm -hmm. I would go, is I would train managers first. If they have some base level of data literacy, then all kinds of things become much easier and much simpler when you start thinking about using data to drive a business. Yeah, so you have a special program for managers, guys? Could you? Could you explain like how many days and what, what would you teach them specific managers? Yeah, so what I have is a, so I have a framework that I have built based on my experience. So this is, this has got to be important. This is my opinion. I don't pretend like I have the universal source of truth in this space. And I have a, a framework, which is essentially four blocks of very specific learning objectives, which I would consider quote unquote data literacy. And it's specifically built so that if you're going to be a manager, what you do is you take out the hands-on labs, the actual hands-on portion, if you would like. Because like managers might not ever do any of this stuff by hand. 
So what they do is they just learn the theory. And what it would be essentially is four half-day courses, which could be over the course of one week, half-day for four days, or it could be two full days, however you would like. And the same framework, though, is the same whether you're a manager or whether you're a line worker and you're actually going to do the analytics yourself. But the mm -hmm. difference would be is for people that are actually going to do analytics, there would be a half a day of lecture and a half a day of lab. So for those people, the training would be four full days. Yeah. Uh, you're, you've you already been doing this for, for a couple of years, I think. Yeah? Quickly, this, or how long are you? did you have this mission? So. so the mission really started in earnest probably last year. So uh, I, my partner and I, we started teaching at conferences, live conferences, and we started mm -hmm. teaching um, these courses and they're all based in Excel, by the way. So these, all this training that I'm talking about is all Excel based. And the reason for that is simple is that almost everybody in the professional world knows how to use Excel to a certain extent. So it's yeah. kind of like the universal tool mm -hmm. and it can do a lot. So you can, you can introduce people to data literacy using Excel. So this really started in earnest last year when we started building um, Excel based courses to cover these topics. And then of course, unfortunately COVID happened and then things got complicated. So this YouTube channel is you only started a year ago. Oh, no. So the YouTube channel I've had for a long time. A uh, um, long time. Yeah, so the uh, the first video that I put up on YouTube was back in 2014. So yeah. about six years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually started the YouTube channel. Um, it wasn't even my idea, actually. A gentleman I was working with suggested that I create some YouTube tutorials because he thought that there'd be a lot of other people out there that would like to learn the kinds of things that I had been learning. Because at that point I was using R and I was learning about machine learning and doing things like that and data analysis using R. And six mm -hmm. years ago, there wasn't a lot of content on YouTube in that space. So mm -hmm. I had some videos that became quite popular because not because they were necessarily the best, but probably just because I was early. A first yeah. move. Okay, so, um, so could you tell us more about this? This, um, so how do you want to cut data hype? You know, but you have like a different perspective, you know, like go beyond the hype. So, so could you elaborate a little bit more? What sure. you mean? And, by yeah, and again, this is one man's opinion, so take that for what it's worth. Um, so the first up is like when I, um, one example is a lot of my content talks about Excel. I don't say, look, you have. If you're not doing Python, you're not doing real analytics. You're not doing real machine learning. You're not doing real data science. I think that's hooey. Mm -hmm. I don't think, even if you're not using R, which is like my favorite programming language now, doesn't matter. You can do data analysis. You can do real analytics with Excel, with Tableau, with Power BI. So that's like one of the first things that um, I think differentiates my perspective from a lot of others is that I don't start with machine learning. Now, if you talked to me five years ago, I would have said, oh, of course, machine learning, because I was I was embroiled in the hype like everybody else. But mm -hmm. over time, what I've realized is the vast majority of business and business analytics scenarios, the things that can really drive value for a company don't require very complicated things at all. And they can be done. A lot of them can be done in Excel, for example. And I think that's one of the main differentiators from my content and my message from some of the other things you might see on social media or in the blogosphere or wherever you're looking. Yeah, but don't you feel it's also value 
the people that are working, have been working many years with Excel, also transition to Power BI because they, they're usually people with a lot of, um, you know, they don't really want to go to Power BI or, or these tools, you know, they want to stay with, with the Excel and don't you think it's also valuable for these people to, so, but that's actually what you're doing with SQL and then R and, and Yes, and I and I think um, I really like to I really like to f I use this terminology borrowed by the way from a series of books from my childhood. Um, I really believe in this idea of choosing your own adventure. Um, for example, I've worked with many many people in the finance space who use Excel day in and day out, and quite frankly, they might not need anything else. They might not need anything else. It probably does no. everything they need to do, and that's fine. But if you want to do something a little bit more advanced, if you want to go a little bit further, um, a data visualization tool like Tableau or Power BI is always always a good idea. Now, that being said, you can do a lot of sophisticated data visualizations in Excel. It's just in my experience, most people don't do it, maybe because they don't know how or they don't know that Excel can do it. But you can do a lot of really interesting yes, visualizations yes. in Excel as well. Okay. Um, then, so could you tell us more about your vision of a world filled with people that are data literate, that can use the, the insights and really make decisions? So what is your utopia or, or like, that would be <laughs> my, your ideal? <laughs> a utopia. <laughs> a utopia for <laughs> analytics people. Um, yes. Yeah, so that the framework that I mentioned earlier is really is really kind of the heart of it. Generally speaking, what I would see, if I could wave a magic wand, if I was like Harry Potter and I could do do magic <laughs> and wave a magic wand, I would go into an arbitrary large corporation. And what I would see is a large track, not everybody, of course, but a large tract of the organization's employees would be trained in the basics of what I call business analysis. Yeah. And I have very specific learning objectives for that. Um, and the, the core idea simply is this. Business processes vary over time because no business process is executed 100% perfectly every day. So the real key is once you understand that is to say, okay, if a business process is varying over time, when is the variance that I'm seeing actually something that's worthy of attention and when is it not? And that core idea, that core idea would be so powerful. If managers knew it, if every almost every employee knew it, that would be super. That would be super awesome because that would make so many discussions a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Focusing on this specifically, like really right. taking this as your perspective on everything, actually, like this. Yeah, and this. using the techniques that I I define as part of the learning objectives of business analysis, mm -hmm. um, you can do some pretty sophisticated analyses, and you can do them all in Excel. Not the least of which is you can compare groups of data. Like for example, uh, let's say if you work in HR, human resources, and you wonder if organization A has higher bad attrition, that is you're losing more good employees than organization B. You can actually compare those two groups and actually say, is one of them actually losing more good employees at a higher rate than the other? That's, mm -hmm. a, relative, that's a relatively sophisticated statistical analysis, but it's actually eminently easy to do it using the kinds of techniques that I I, yeah, I label business analysis. Yeah, and are you like, like okay, I come from, from social sciences and, and I, I also think the importance of quality 
research, you know, you can't just only take the data and then say like this is 100% accurate and this is how it is, like you still need to combine interviews and more more yeah, philosophical thinking you have to incorporate in the data analysis. Like to me there seems like a big gap between like most people now are focusing on data, people that are in this field and it's like, you know, there's this a lot of criticism, you know, like a lot of like, because if you take like two data analysis, they will come with the same data sets, they will come different viewpoints, you know, so it's still pretty subjective. And so this is a, a thing I, I find dealing with this subject that um, it's not, you can, you can make predictions, but it's not like 100% accurate and this is the absolute truth and blah, blah, blah. It's more like, so I feel that there's more space for, for more critical awareness on, on the tools people are using and, and um, on this side. Yes, that, and that's yeah, true. Um, Mm -hmm. lying, with st lying with statistics has been, uh, I think Mark Twain has a quote about that, that's been around for a long yeah. time. Just because you have a particular analytical technique does not mean that you are necessarily graced with wisdom, if you want mm -hmm. to use that terminology right out of the box. So yes, absolutely. Um, what I tend to, I tend to focus on the, the mechanics, the techniques, and not so much on, for example, um, is looking at this KPI and comparing in, in doing analysis on this KPI and making decisions from this KPI, this is not about necessarily saying, is that KPI at base the right thing? Because there's a whole, no. that's a whole, there's a whole body of work that you can study for creating the right KPIs. I tend yeah, to focus yeah. on, I tend to focus on, let's assume for the sake of argument, you have the right KPI, the data that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would say like, like you specifically on managers, is that true? Or is there like another, who's your target audience in, in the classes you give and, and the people you'd like to teach and like to read? Who's your target, your, your ideal audience? Like. Yeah, so currently right now, what I'm focused on at right this, right this point, because I've only been doing Davon data full time at the time of this recording for a little over a month now. So I haven't been doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. So right now my current target audience is creating online educational content, online training content for basically any professional, whether that's a manager yeah. or a line worker, it doesn't really matter. Anybody that's interested in saying, look, I would like to up level my data analysis skills for whatever reason but maybe I don't have a, an extensive background in mathematics, or maybe I don't have an extensive Mac background in programming. So that's why I, I tend to focus on essentially professionals that um, typically their educational background is not science, technology, engineering, or mathematics, right? So, you know, whether that might be the humanities or business or what have you, but they're interested in developing some data analysis skills. Yeah, so how much math mathematics is necessary, do you think? So well, how important so, is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a really really good question. Um, and typically, if you if you state flatly that math doesn't matter, um, it's not it's not exactly correct. However, by the same token, depending on what you want to do and what you need to do, you might not need as much math as you think. 
Um, for example, you, you can do a lot with linear regression, which is one of the most popular data analysis techniques there is. You can do a lot with linear regression without taking a course in linear algebra. So for example, mm -hmm. um, folks in certain social sciences, like for example, psychologists, graduate level psychologists often use linear regression to evaluate the results of their experiments, but very rarely do they have a large amount of advanced training in mathematics. What they do is they learn as much math as they need to actually use the techniques correctly. So depending on what you want to do, you might not need as much math as you think. Now, for example, if you were trying to, if you want to design your own machine learning algorithms, like if you're working at Google or something like that, then yeah, you need a lot of math. <laughs> but a lot of business people don't need as much math as you might think. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, the more math you have, the, the more fundamental understanding you have and the better it is. But it's not, strictly speaking, required because you see it in the real world all the time where people apply various statistical techniques without actually understanding, for example, the underlying linear algebra. Yeah. Um, so what would you say are the biggest trends now? The biggest trends now? Um, yeah. So the biggest trends that I'm seeing now are a couple, a couple of things. And of course, I can't see everything. I don't have like a crystal ball and I can see the whole world. But based on my little slice of the world, <laughs> my little slice of reality, <laughs> the things that I'm yeah. seeing is, is that um, companies during these economic times are kind of taking a step back, which, by the way, is mm -hmm. totally normal. Um, in, yeah. the in the technology space, things ebb and flow. So, for example, there was the big data hype. You know, everybody and their brother wanted a big data Hadoop cluster, and they... Mm did investments in that. And then they're like, oh, wait a second, we're not really getting a lot of value out of this. And we see some mm -hmm. hype cycles that are coming. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, the current economic situation only accelerates the downward aspect of the hype cycle. And what I'm seeing right now is that a lot of businesses are taking a step back in the analytics mm -hmm. space and saying, okay, we're spending a lot of money here. Are we actually getting value for it? So there's kind of this kind of this kind of break along around data science and machine learning and these sorts of things. I mean, it's, and I think that a lot of companies are, are trying to reevaluate. All this stuff will come back, of course. That's the nature of the cycle. Yeah. But right now, they're taking a step yeah. back and saying, look, with using data, what really gives us a payoff? And it might not necessarily be a very fancy machine learning model. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then, um, yeah, could you tell us more about the process behavior charts? Because I've been watching your your YouTube videos and and you 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 talk a lot about this. So could you explain a little bit? Um, sure. The process exactly. behavior chart. Yes. Okay. So the process behavior chart um, comes from the area of statistical process control, which is a an applied statistical area that was invented back in the 1920s for manufacturing. And the the original impetus was. Um, again, processes vary. If you think of like manufacturing physical products, um, everything has to have mm -hmm. within a certain level of fault tolerance. Otherwise, the pieces don't fit together. Your television will break. You know, who knows, right? All kinds of different things. And the idea was, how can we manage our processes to a certain controlled level of variation that's acceptable where we get quality work mm -hmm. product? So yeah. I, a, a, a gentleman who's quite famous in the 
quality area of manufacturing, a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Donald J. Wheeler is a, is a big figure in the field. And what he did was he said, look, there are certain charts that are used in statistical process control that are super useful, not just for manufacturing, but for all kinds of business processes. And he kind of mm -hmm. dubbed these, these charts process behavior charts. They're also known as control charts as well. And there's a whole family of them, but he tends to focus on just a, a few and he calls them process yeah. behavior charts. And the great mm -hmm. thing about them is, is that since they were originally built for the, um, in an applied statistical way in for business data, they were designed to be robust to many of the things that happen in business data that normally um, would make using traditional statistical techniques difficult because those statistical, traditional statistical techniques make certain assumptions about your data. Oftentimes, for example, they are generated from a randomly assigned experiment. Whereas in the business world, most of your data isn't like that. So the process yeah, behavior yeah. charts are, are kind of designed for working with real world business data. And they make certain, they make certain simplifying assumptions about your data. They make less assumptions about your data than other statistical yeah, techniques, yeah. which makes them a lot more useful in a lot of situations. And not only that, they okay. are very, very simple to understand. Okay, okay, nice. Um, then, uh, yeah, I heard you talking about some business analysts. Uh, in, in your LinkedIn profile, you're talking about a citizen business analyst. So uh, could you explain a little bit more? Yeah, so that's a... Um, like so many things that I have, that's an idea that I um, borrowed from somebody else. There was an article um, a few years ago where they talked about the citizen data scientist. And mm -hmm. I kind of just, just kind of extended that um, idea to what if, what if you are a business professional? Let's say you are a manager in a call center, right? You work in a customer service call center. And that's your passion. That's your career path. That's what you want to do. But you want to do the job better and you want to use data to help you do the job better. So yeah. you could you could build your data analysis skills to help you with that. And that's kind of where this idea of the citizen business analyst came from. This idea that you have data literate business professionals that can do data analyses, but they don't necessarily have a formal business analyst or data analyst or data scientist title. And that's where that mm -hmm. framework that I mentioned, the four-step framework that I mentioned, comes into play. If you do all four steps, which you don't have to, by the way, but if you do, I dubbed that level of data literacy the citizen business analyst. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, oh. Yes. <laughs> um, then, um, also, um, so I think tools are getting easier and easier, you know, so, so what are the skills people actually need? We already discussed uh, mathematics um, is not, not uh, necessary on a very deep level, but what, what would be like really important skills to have to be successful in, in using these tools in the right way, you know, like what, what should be fostered, what kind of... Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think the yeah. first, the first and most important skill uh, or trait or behavior pattern for folks these days, if they want to be a data literate professional, if they want to use data to drive business outcomes, is they need yeah. to have skepticism. 
And what and that's a fine and well-established scientific idea. But when applied to business, it simply means this, that generally speaking, if you have a well-established business, business process, what have you, that moving the needle, you know, raising your sales by a lot or raising your customer satisfaction by a lot or decreasing your expenses by a lot, generally speaking, that's hard. So mm -hmm. because you've, you're in a well-established organization, you've got years of, of work in place. So really moving the needle as measured by some sort of KPI is actually difficult. And what that yeah. means from a skeptical perspective is, is that you should, generally, you should generally think that any new project, any new marketing campaign, any new initiative, product launch is unlikely to move the needle. That's the skepticism. So your default position should be, yeah, we started this new marketing campaign, but it's not likely to work. What that means is you're looking for you're looking for proof in the data that it is working because your assumption is is that moving the needle is hard, so typically nothing's going to work. Now, mm -hmm. and I need to I need to emphasize this very much. That idea is often perceived in most organizations as you being negative, you being uh, a downer, <laughs> you not being a team player. So that's why I think it's the single most important thing that needs to be changed in organizations that want to use data. Because what it tells you is that, you know what, everything is an experiment in an established business. And we kind of expect things not to work. And that's okay if they don't, because that's expected. But typically, mm -hmm. especially in the organizations that I've worked with and consulted with in the United States, that is not the culture. <laughs> that is not the culture at all. No. So how would you define a successful culture like in, in these days, like if company, an organization wants to be exponential growth, you know, like what what should the culture be like next to yeah, skeptical outlook? And, and so what, what are other um, culture elements that, that should be in place? Yeah, in my experience and in my opinion, Skepticism obviously is one, right? And you want it yeah. systemic from the CEO, the top of the pyramid, all the way down. You want that that idea, that culture to be systemic across the organization. Yeah, Two yeah. is a culture of experimentation. So there's kind of this saying that's almost cliche now. It's called fail fast, learn fast. Yeah. Everybody aspires to that, but very few companies actually implement it in practice because there's this kind of stigma of actually failing. But it's yeah. really important because that idea embodies this, this, this notion of experimentation in the business should be the norm. And also most experiments are not going to turn out successful. And that's okay because hopefully mm -hmm. the ones that do turn out knock the ball out of the park, as we say in the yeah. United States, right? Make a home run. And that, that, that culture of experimentation is what really we should be shooting for. Um, and it should, be, it should start with management. For example, my experience universally has been also speaking as a manager, as a manager myself, as a former manager in a corporate environment, I will tend to alter my behavioral patterns depending on how I am compensated. So, for example, working with human resources to define um, aspects of the compensation model for management that rewards experimentation, whether the experiments succeed or not. Those, those are the mm -hmm. kinds of things that I would say are fundamental hallmarks of an organization that wants to be truly data-driven. Yeah. Do you have an example of organizations that you that you feel are doing really well in this 
in this way or in this perspective? Yeah. So um, a lot of the t big tech companies are um, have either they were born this way, quote unquote, or they evolved that way. So, for example, when I first started working at Microsoft um, in 2008, generally speaking, the company culture still wasn't one of experimentation. In certain parts of the company, yeah. What later became Bing, a Microsoft search engine, that part yeah. of the company was very, very experimental focused, right? Because they ran lots of A-B tests on the, the search engine. But yeah, the, rest of the, the rest of the company, not so much. But what, what I saw during my eight years at Microsoft was a gradual shift, an inexorable um, spreading of this idea that experimentation was important. And now, of course, now that Microsoft's going all in on the cloud with Azure, they do experiments all the time. So that's a good example of, a, of a, like a big company that actually transformed itself into more of this experiment data-driven culture. Oh, well. Okay, nice. Um, then, would, would you say like the two social scientist people and data analysis are like, like they're learning each other's trade a little bit? There's like social scientists are using uh, data science tools and then data scientists are going back to the social sciences to, um, to, to get influenced by by these theories, do you do you see the trend in this or not? Not really. Uh, so, as, from from what I've <laughs> what I've seen, not so much social sciences to the analytics folks, the hard, for lack of a better way of describing it, the hard analytics folks, as of yet, yeah, yeah. as of yet, um, as as ethics, as the human aspect of the you know machine learning and AI becomes more and more prominent, which is only natural over time that that happens, right? Um, it tends to be, mm -hmm. in the tech space, those sorts of concerns tend to be ignored in the beginning, and then they are incorporated over time. It just seems to be the natural progression. I, mm -hmm. I would believe that that would happen. Now, that being said, I'm not a social scientist, so I'm not necessarily as familiar with the things that you are. <laughs> so, um, but I would see, based on my long career in technology, more than 22 years in technology, um, those human aspects, those human things do tend to come in over time. And I expect that to be totally the case in analytics as well, especially because mm -hmm. um, if you can, I mean, the, the secret sauce, of course, um, is if you're a company, you want to understand human behavior in the end, because that helps you reduce costs, it helps you increase sales, it helps you do better marketing and advertising. So all those sorts of things inevitably flow in because if nothing else, the profit motive. Yes. Um, okay, yeah, and of course we see this in, in the experience designers and, and user interface designers getting more important and being incorporated in, in, in the workplace. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's about it. Um, These are like basically the questions I wanted to ask. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me um, on this podcast. And um, I following you on, on YouTube and, and seeing all your videos and in your blog post. And so thank you so much for bringing the world uh, your, your expertise and talents. And, and um, I think you're one of the best uh, great teachers out there and, and um, so I'm, I'm really grateful you were here.
here and, and I wish you, I hope your dreams come true. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for the kind words and thank you again for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Big Data Now podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will look forward to bringing you another very interesting guest next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.